Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey, this is After Party Pod, and I am your host, Anna David. It's a podcast about addiction and recovery. And I got another podcast, which you should be listening to. It's called You've Got Issues with Anna David. You can find that where you found this. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, what have you. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, which is a part of Rehab Reviews, the world's largest source for rehab reviews. There's over 4,000 at this point. And After Party is the sort of lifestyle part of RehabReviews.com where we have news stories and essays all about addiction and recovery. And so this podcast has been around for a while. (laughs) I'm such a pro. Like, what does that even mean? Two years? I'm terrible at, at logging time. It's been at least a few years. And we get some good guests as evidenced by your guest today, comedian Jim Norton, you guys. Yeah. He tours all over. He roasts. He he's goes on Leno and Letterman and Kimmel, and he re, he's replaced Anthony on Opie and Anthony, and he's on Inside Jamie Schumer, and he writes best-selling books, and he is sober three decades. Yeah, he got sober as a teenager, sober from drugs and alcohol, and... He's very open about the fact that he struggles with sex addiction. He talks about it, and he talks about having had periods of recovery from it. He is not in one of those periods right now. He talks about uh, sexual experiences as a, as a kid and uh, who he likes to date. It may not be what you're thinking. you got to listen to the rest of the episodes, and you will find out now this is Jim Norton. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Um, oh yeah, so we're just like launching, we launch right into it. Um, so first we're talking about addiction and alcoholism and all that stuff. So, and you're sober. I am. How long are you sober? February the 1st of 87. Jesus Christ. Since I was 18. I can't do math. How long, how many years is that? 29. Maybe 29. Three decades, pretty much. Almost, yeah. God willing, as they say. Well, yeah, if I don't fuck up by February. I was a very, um, you know, I was like a typical suburban teenage angst, boring you know, woe is me, teenager. You were? Well, yeah. You know, no one likes me. You know, crap. And so, and so you were like, well, what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drink or I'm going to do drugs or whatever. Well, you don't think of it in those terms. No. You just do it. Yeah. You just do it. You start doing it and you're like, wow, this makes me feel comfortable. 
Yeah. But did you even think about it like that? I certainly didn't think about it like, oh, this makes me feel comfortable. I was like, I'm partying. No, the first time I danced, I was at a wedding. Mm. My Aunt Gail got married, and it was the first time I ever had a drink was a whiskey sour, my mother's. And I was shy, I couldn't dance, but after a few sips, I was able to dance. And I right. immediately knew it was because of what I drank. Right, right. I made the connection immediately. Yeah. And so you were like, well, I obviously have to do this all the time to excess. Yeah, well, just because you don't realize it's to excess because you don't realize the effect it's having on you the first time. Yeah. Like you're getting violent or you're getting, you know, annoying or, you know, crying or all these things that people do yeah. when they're destined to have a problem. Yeah, did you do all those all things? All of them. Oh, shit, that's All my phone. I can't believe I didn't turn that off. Um, um, so would you, would you fight and then cry or cry and then fight? I wouldn't even fight. I would just argue um, and then cry at the end of it. It was silly. Yeah. It was like a, my, my, my ex-girlfriend who I told about my childhood, she's like, you were like an emo lesbian. I'm like, yeah, you're <laughs> right. It was. So, and so, do you think that it was, it was, it's sort of just how you're chemically built, it was what was happening to you, a combination, what do you think caused you to feel uncomfortable and need to do it? I don't know, I mean, probably a combination, because my parents were very supportive, nice people. Yeah. So I don't know exactly why I felt always uncomfortable in my own skin, I still yeah. do, always. Yeah, always. Always uncomfortable. Like right now, and you're all the time. Now I'm relaxed, out. because I'm talking, and it's, talking is... You know, just chatting like yeah. this is comfortable. Interesting. This is so, but like sitting with yourself is uncomfortable. I mean, I'm not, I'd relate. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it does. That's why I'm always... But plus, it's hard to tell. Is it just, you know, discomfort with myself? Or is it the fact that I have a phone and a computer and I'm doing all this different stuff and I'm always right. busy and I'm always busy and I'm always busy? Is it one of those things, too? It could be. But isn't that a great comfort to always be busy and have that? No, I should just say distracted. Yeah. Always distracted. Yeah. I can't even read anymore because I'm too busy checking Twitter. I know. And I know. Tinder. And I know. Facebook. The dating apps. The, you know, it's the, did someone send me a photo? All that stuff. I know. I know. So wh what was it like? I mean, here's what I wonder. You know, obviously the, all that stuff exacerbates discomfort. But what if it's just kind of, it's kind of nice. Like, I'm conscious of it. I'm like, oh, this is nice. I get to escape my thoughts. Yeah, but it's, it becomes... When the escape becomes like more of a problem than the original thoughts, then right. it's no good anymore. But then right. you can't stop escaping. So for me, it's just, you know, I don't know how to stop doing it. How do I stop focusing on all this, you yeah. know. I, I mean, I'm pr a pretty busy person you yeah. know, with, with work and uh, a lot of stuff today, a lot of stuff, you know, the next couple of days. So I'm good at doing that. Yeah. But I'm always afraid that I'm not doing enough. When are you conscious of being uncomfortable? Um, when I act, sometimes when I talk to friends, really, just weird moments when I think of it. Like when you're acting, like any time, you're just like not oh. any time, no. But sometimes, if it's material, if it's something that really isn't me, a lot of times I just feel like this is not real. Right. What I'm doing is they know I'm just pretending. Um, but isn't that true of acting? Isn't that yeah? Amazing? But you have to remove your thought. You can't think that way. You have to just be what, you, what you're doing. When you're doing stand-up, are you comfortable? Sometimes. I did a benefit and bomb tonight. I, I fucked up. I opened up with Charlie Sheen AIDS jokes, and it was a benefit for a girl with cancer. And the crowd was nice, but it was small, and it was just kind of a shitty vibe. Right. But it was my fault. I didn't do it on purpose. I just happened to do that. And so, and so like, that's a, that triggers discomfort. You're like, oh, 
nobody's laughing, this isn't working, and then that feeds into it, and then it goes worse, right? Yeah, but I mean, then I'm just, I, it didn't really bother me because I'm like, Sometimes. I knew technically what I did wrong. I'm like, you shouldn't open with this at a benefit. I was on first. Right. You know, so I, I knew that I did something stupid. Right. Um, and it happens. And then the set turned around, it was okay, but, you know, I, you can always tell. Like, if I think I'm doing great and the crowd just hates me, then I'm in trouble. Right. But I knew what I did wrong. So, okay, so, so you drink at this whiskey sour at the wedding, and then, and then how quickly did it all get out of control? You know, it's hard. I only drank till I was 18. I mean, I was very yeah. young. Um, over the next couple of years. I don't even remember what the next time was. The next time I actually did it with my friends, uh, I took a uh, box cutter. And I remember, like I said hello to my friend who worked at the A&P. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I thought he didn't say hello to me properly. Mm. So I had a box cutter. And I was saying I should go back in and cut him with this box cutter. Wow. Like it was really creepy. Wow. Just like that level of sensitivity. Or yeah, or just being a just not knowing. Oh yeah, I was drunk. Yeah. So it's like I wouldn't even. That's not like legit sensitivity. Legit sensitivity, you know, is if you watch a Sanka commercial and cry. But you know, cutting someone when you're drunk is is hypersensitivity. It's, yeah. It's, it's not real. It's no. Ego. Right. What about these people who say, "Well, the real you comes out when you're drinking." There's a point to that, and then the person that you never want to be comes out when you're drinking. You know, <clears throat> you drop inhibitions. And you might tell some truths. Right. But then it goes into this other place where that's not who you are. Yeah. You're not a violent person. Yeah. People who drunk drive kill people. That's not who they are. Yeah. It just happens. But um, I never understood. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not a guy. I never understood the getting violent thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would get kind of emotionally violent. I wasn't. Were you ever a happy drunk? No. Never. No. Mescaline made me happy. That made me laugh a lot. Huh. I remember laughing very hard when I would do mescaline, so that was my favorite drug. And what other drugs were you doing? I smoked a lot of pot, drank. Um, I did coke. I smoked coke, but again, never to the extreme crank. Yeah. Uh, there was no meth. There was it no. It was the same I mean, thing. there was meth, but I didn't have access to it. Wasn't crank meth? Isn't that the same thing? Oh, is it the same thing? I don't I even know. So. Maybe I, you're right. Yeah. I, th- I think meth is a nicer crank. Yeah. Crank was shitty, and it burned my nose, and it was yellowish. Yeah. It was chunky, and I didn't like it. So, and, and so what happened? What, did you go to rehab? I was forced into rehab after a wrist-cutting episode when I was 17. Were you drunk when you were oh, cutting yeah. your wrist? 1985 going into 86, that was New Year's Eve. Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to die. I just was being dramatic and attention-seeking. And do you remember it? Were you oh, in yeah. a blackout? So you, you said, whose attention did you want? Or just anybody's? Just, it's like, there's a great line. In the, you ever see in the line of fire? Yeah, a long time ago, though. Great line when John Malkovich wants to kill the president. And Clint Eastwood says to him, why are you doing this? Yeah. And he said, to punctuate the dreariness. Hmm. I thought, what a great way to explain a lot of stuff that is. Sometimes you just do things because everything feels gray and blah, and you just want to punch through it. Right. There's no rational reason. So I can't look back at a rational reason for that. I didn't have a girlfriend or, you know, maybe I did at that time. I don't even know. I might have still been a virgin. I probably was. Um, yeah, I was still a virgin. And uh, yes, yeah, so my friend was over. And I had to go to rehab after that. Because I had to go to the hospital. Yeah. So your friend told your parents? Is that no, I happened? told my parents. It wasn't a real suicide attempt. So you go in and you're like bleeding and you yeah, go it was embar- it's, it's like, ugh, what a douche I was. Yeah, because I, I cut deeper than I meant to. Uh-huh. Like, I didn't realize how deeply I was going to slice. Uh-huh. So I had to get a few stitches. Yeah. But it was also just about the, that, that, 
cutting something felt satisfying about it. I'll yeah. get the back of my arms. I just did it. Yeah, you did the cutting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have a thing with, like, uh, it's gross. I mean, it's really gross. It's like a picking cuticles thing, yeah. but it's calling it a cuticle is pretty, like, it's really downplaying the it's situation. It's like a bacon strip. Right? It's like, like, it's, yeah, I don't, I mean, God, it's like, I, ugh, this is so disgusting. I had an ex-boyfriend who was like, if you peeled your neck down to your stomach, you wouldn't say, I peeled my neck. Okay, God, I feel disgusting. I never talk about it. But, um, but anyway, so I get it. I get it. You get like an endorphin rush. You're looking at my cuticles. I've only got one that's a little like. No, I'm just looking at your hands. Um, but like, so I get it. It's because it, it's, it's distract. Again, it's the distraction. Yeah. You know, and there's an endorphin rush because your body rushes you with endorphins to heal it. Yeah, and it just feels like something. Like yeah. Like when I did something. Yeah, yeah. I maimed myself a little. And so, and so did they 5150 you when you tried to kill yourself? Don't they put you in a way for a few days? They, they wanted me. I had this thing where I hated my hair very much. So I would always wear hats. Mm-hmm. I was almost thrown out of high school because I wouldn't take my hat off because I was so self-conscious about my cowlicks. Mm-hmm. Um... So when they sent me to rehab, they wanted it to be one that had a psychiatrist. Yeah. So I went to a 30-day program called the Princeton House. Oh, I've never even heard of it, and I've heard of all of them. Yeah, that was in New Jersey. Yeah. And I did a month there. I drank in the rehab. My roommate got wine. I had vodka. And then I went out and drank for another year and just got sober. Because I knew about you know 12-step programs. I knew about that type of stuff. So it, was, it ruined the experience for me. So you so you snuck alcohol in and got drunk the whole thirty days and well, then no 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 only once we just did it to get away with it like they used to send us out to uh, they they used to send us out to twelve step groups on yeah. site so I wound up uh, my roommate went out and bought liquor Dwayne from uh, Trenton and me him and this guy named Harvey all drank liquor mm-hmm. I drank a half pint of vodka Dwayne drank a pint of wine and I don't know what Harvey drank. I'm imagining they're both dead by now. It's you don't keep up with your rehab buddies. No. Um, doesn't sound like that rehab was very uh, on top of you all. If it was that easy to sneak out, and no, get anybody booze. could do it. You sneak out of a meeting and do it. A twelve step, you know, that's not their fault. And so, and so, then a year later is when you I got. Just, yeah, I had a moment of clarity. Yeah, I was my, the girlfriend who I finally did have sex with, and I was my relationship was not doing well. I just decided to try it again to see if I could save the relationship. Right. She wasn't doing well, or, or she wanted you to get sober. Oh, I just knew I wasn't. I was a mess. Right, right. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, yeah. It gets pretty dark before, you know, I think that people have this misconception that, like, everybody who's sober was super excited to get sober or yeah, something. No, it stinks. It's the last thing you want to do. It's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. Um, did that, did you get, uh, what changed? I mean, I'm assuming it's not the last thing you want to do now. Uh, no, not well. You you start to see it like once you start doing it, you realize life's a little bit better, and you're a bit more coherent. Like that. That's basically. Then you start to build good experiences. Yeah. First, you have nothing to go on. You're like, all right, what do I have? I have nothing. I'm lost. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd never be able to laugh again. Yeah. But as you go on and you make friends and you start to live a little bit and you go out with a couple of girls and you're like, okay, life can be okay. Yeah. I don't know how long I'll stick with this. But then I started stand-up when I was three years sober. And then, you know, like that kind of propelled me into the life I'm in now. So that, I knew there was no turning back. Right, right. I dropped out of high school when I was a senior. So I I didn't have a high school diploma. I got a GED a year sober just to do it. 
And so you knew that if you drank, your whole stand-up situation oh, would go away. Everything. There, there are many successful uh, stand-ups who are drunks. There are, and there's but more that you've never heard of. Yep. Yeah. And then there's guys like Greg Giraldo who are dead. Right. Who was great, or Mitch Hedberg, or all these really funny guys, or so many guys that never realize their potential. Right. So many guys that never get out of the gate, which is probably where I would have wound up. Right. Or never I would have tried it to begin with. Or so many guys their growth becomes stunted. There's some great ones. Yeah. You know, you, you get guys that drink hard. Doug Stanhope's really funny. There's a lot of guys, David Tell drank for years. And you know, this guy's a function and put out brilliant material. Yeah. But I was not that type of a thinker when I drank. I just wasn't. I wasn't fun. I wasn't jovial. I was just a drunken, angry pig. Do you, um, and did you not want to be a stand-up before that? I mean, you were such a kid, you probably didn't know what you wanted That's to do. That's all I ever do. wanted to do. Oh, you always wanted to. Since I was 12, yeah, I always knew. Yeah. So, but it was like a pipe dream. I wanted to be an attorney at one point, which I watched Dog Day Afternoon and Al Pacino's big speech. And like, but it was more of a performance desire. Yeah. You know, so that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to law school, um, defense. I like the idea of a defense attorney because you could be argumentative. You could slightly <laughs> perform. Right. You know, a litigator, though. I didn't realize it was paralegaling and paperwork and, and know, passing the bar. And else that's, yeah, and all of that. It's a lot of work. It's a lot, I hear. Um, yeah. So your parents were probably super into that. Like, yeah, yeah, be a lawyer. And then you go stand up and they're yeah. like, eh. No, they were happy. Cause they, I was three years sober when I did stand up. So they were happy I was going to do anything. What took you three years? to? Do, were you scared? I was terrified. It was, yeah. it was never going to happen. It was just a dream. Yeah. You have a dream. You're never going to make it. You're never going to be, be this. Yeah. This little secret fantasy that you, it's a little place that you set aside for yourself where you can go and daydream. That's what it is. And that's why people don't try it. You know, I'm always heartbroken by people who are 40 and they'll come up to you and they go, man, I always wanted to do stand-up, but I never tried it. And that, is, I'm so lucky that's not me. Yeah. But I, under, I mean, sometimes you get married, you have kids, this shit you can't, all right, whatever. But a lot of them are just scared and they're not scared of failing. People become scared of losing that little secret someday, someday. They get scared of losing that little secret place that they go to and fantasize. And once that's dead, now once that comes crashing down, you can never think of yourself that you'll be a comedian someday. You can never think of yourself that they'll come and discover your great talent someday. So that little island that you'd go to is lost. And I think that's why a lot of people don't try it. They're scared of that. What do you think of the idea that people like to have something that they go, well, I'd be really happy if I had that. And so they don't do it because they can sort of delay happiness. Partially true. But then once you start doing what makes you happy, there's always, always the fucking carrot dangling. Always. always. You know, I've done everything I thought. I always said if I was on The Tonight Show or if I ever did an HBO special one hour, did all that. I've met all my idols. Yep. Um, I've gotten to know some of my idols, not all of them. But I mean, I met Carlin and Pryor and Kinnison and, you know, Dice and Ozzy Osbourne and all these people I love that I've gotten to. And I still feel like, even though I, I make decent money, I've been on the radio for a long time, I really view myself as a failure. And I know that that sounds, it sounds silly if you look at, like, well, financially I do okay. But to me, it's like I don't feel like a viable comic at all. I don't feel like I'm, I'm I mean, I know I'm a funny guy and I'm funny on the radio, but I don't feel like I'm a valuable comic. And I'm not saying that like in, in front of a group going, am I guys? Right, I'm just telling you, you really that believe that. Oh, without it, with yeah. And that's why I don't say that to people because you know, I, I don't want them to deny it or confirm it. That's not what I'm looking for. It's right. just, I'm just being honest about the, what I know is an irrational thought. I know I'm a good comic. Yeah, what, what would be a quote valuable comic? Um, just a comic that's 
I guess, doing better than me. <laughs> so do you know crazy. what I'm saying? It, I do, no but it's crazy. It is crazy because no matter where you are, you know, we don't have a set path in entertainment. Right. You know, um, it's, uh, there's, but there's a lot of guys doing worse than me. And those are the guys I think of. Like, how many of those drank away their opportunities or fucked up? Yeah. Where they were lazy or selfish or self-destructive. Where they got in obsessive relationships, you know. Right. Like, I did a lot of things right. Yeah. And I know intellectually I'm not a failure. Like, I know that. But it doesn't matter what you know in your head. You know, it's like, it's that, that's what the thought. This yeah. is how crazy I am. This window over there. Yeah. Uh, it's been leaking. And it's driving me crazy. And now they're, they're fixing it a little bit. But because the window had some air coming through, I'm like, this problem is never going to get better. Yeah. I should throw myself off the balcony. I relate to that. It's crazy. It's like, it's just that extreme, it's the worst thing. It's that extreme, that, that feeling that nothing's ever going to change, yeah. that the worst scenario is going to happen, and that like you won't be able to handle it yeah, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know about you, but do you have a thing? What I hate most about my brain is that it's constantly like, are you happy? Are you happy right now? Are you happy having this conversation? Are you ha Like, stop asking me that, and I might be a lot happier. No, my brain always tells me you're not doing this right. Right. You're not very good at this. You're failing at this. Whatever it is, um, you stink at this. Everything you've ever thought that was negative is valid and true. That's what my mind. And then when it, so whenever a positive thing happens, I ignore it. Yep. Or I go, yeah, yeah. Whenever a negative thing happens, uh, it's proof of what I always thought. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So I've rigged the game so yep. I can always feel shitty. It's bullshit. Does it ever change? Sometimes I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, right. dummy? Right, right, Look at your life. You have a good life. I don't feel like I've been handed any of it. Like I worked. I, yeah. don't, I don't feel guilty about one thing I own, one thing I do. Right. Because I work really hard. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like, I like that about myself. Right. I have a great work ethic. Like right. I, I, I show up for radio every day. I do my gigs. I always create new material. So, like, you know, I, I don't feel like oh, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I've been so lucky. I've been handed all this stuff. I, you know, I like that I, I'm willing to go out and work for it. What was your question? I'm sorry. Do you get breaks from it? From the like, like you get these moments where you're just like, actually, you know what? Look, I mean, look at this. And it's, you didn't have to work to get to that thought. It's just a happy thought. Yeah, I felt good today. Um, so I got hired with this guy, Matt Sarah. He's uh, an ex-fighter in the UFC. We're doing the UFC's podcast. And the uh, first episode came out today. Um, and it was really, it, it did, people liked it a lot. It did very well. And again, we do the next one for, for Thursday. It's two a week we're going to do now. Right. But uh, there was great. I mean, I'm sure some people hated it, and there's always those douches. Or, yeah. or, or not douches who just didn't like it. Yeah. But the feedback was overwhelmingly positive, and I was really surprised. Right. Because it was our first one. We were just kind of fucking bumbling through it. But I think people liked that it was real conversation and talking and not, you know, because a lot of sports podcasts are overrun with guys who are like, all right, it looks like we got the, uh, you know, LeBron, the, you know, you know, right, they, they talk right. like sports announcers. But uh, we didn't do that, so I'm making sure my phone's charging. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, and so, okay, so you can take it in sometimes when sometimes. it's good. You can yeah. take it in and not go, like, anybody could do this, or they're wrong, or whatever your brain would want to tell yeah, you. Yeah, I don't feel like anybody could do it, because um, there's a lot of terrible comedians out there, and, and again, worse, there's a lot of lazy performers out there. Yeah. Uh, who want stuff handed to them. Yeah. Um, you know, and... So it's been good. Like the podcast is good. My radio contract is coming up in October. 
And I know that I've done a good job there, and I know that I can stay or leave. It's up to me. The company would like to keep me. It's like, yeah. So I feel good about that. Yeah. Like, I'm funny on the radio show. Like, that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty valid with. Like, yeah. I know that I think a certain way, and I know that I fire out some good lines. Like, that I'm confident in. What about, like, so what do you do to kind of try to find more peace? Do you do 12 steps still? Do you meditate? Do you do all that stuff? I don't meditate. I should. Um, lacking but I still do 12-step meetings just not as many as I should but I do do them mm -hmm. and do you find that that helps with the thinking and the negative sure whenever I go to them I feel better yeah sure yeah makes me grateful so why don't you go more it's a great question part of it is being busy part of it's being lazy part of it's being uh, you know you, you just get kind of lackadaisical because by the way, I hate the word lackadaisical because my whole life I said it lackadaisical. I was going to ask. That is, I, are you sure yes, if there's no S? It's lackadaisical. Okay. And it sounds wrong. It sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. Um, lackadaisical is how I always said it. And did someone correct you and no, shame some, you? No, somebody said lackadaisical. And I think I made fun of him for it. And he goes, no, no, <laughs> it is. Anyway, I'm going to look it up as we're talking. It's a horrible word. Um, what about um, any, anyways? Yeah. Hate that. Yeah, not a word. Not a word. What's another one? Uh, oh, there's so many. Um, um, People use so many words incorrectly. Uh, yeah, well, you know, this is a dumb one. My mom's an English professor, and uh, she o she always was like lackadaisical. Google if Google says it. God, yeah. look at that pronunciation. That looks insane. Yeah. Um, my mom, my mom, the re you're not supposed to go. The reason is because. The reason that I came up these stairs and was out of breath is because everybody does it. And she was like, I never corrected you. You're supposed to say the reason is that. Like, that was the biggest one. My, my grammar is... Because? is you're, you're supposed to say the reason is that. But, like, everybody gets it wrong. So that's a the weird reason, one. The reason is that. Yeah, I did a lot of flaws in my writing like that. I, 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 my editor, when I would do books, would always tell me, you go from past to present a lot. Yeah, you can't do that. But that's how I talk. So I was saying, like, you know, it's funny. I went down to, uh, two weeks ago, I went down to this place. And um, I'm talking to this guy. Yeah. And he looks at me and he says, I've gone past to present, back and forth. But that's natural speech. So I wouldn't let them correct it. Oh, see, because, yeah, that is very comedy to go. That's how we speak. Yeah. So. But it drives me, I'm an editor and a writer. So that drives me insane when people do that. It doesn't read as funny sometimes. It, it reads as like inconsistent. I'm, I'm so obsessive about stuff like that. Somebody just told me today that the New York Times changed it and the internet, you're not supposed to capitalize the word anymore. You're supposed to lowercase. Dr I well, mean, on the word internet? Yeah. I don't know why it ever was capitalized. I don't either, but it just was, and I was cool with that. What, so so um, what about a day? Okay, so Jim's closing a window that's never, it's, it's never going to be fixed, so he should probably just jump out it. No, it's not this window. You know, but that one is another one to get depressed about, maybe. No, that one was uh, having some issues, too. But it's so windy up here, because you can see there's nothing in front of us. Yeah. So the wind really fucking smashes me, but I felt I saw a bug coming in. So I'll turn the air on if it gets warm. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I like it. So... And so in terms of, like, addiction, I've heard you talk about this on other podcasts. I think it was Dr. Drew's and then maybe um, on Nerdist, sort of, like, the sort of whack-a-mole idea about addiction. So it's like you stop drinking, and then, like, it pops up in other places. Sure. Is that, that – you want to talk about that? Well, I mean, it's always something. For me, the first one was sex. Definitely the first addiction for a young – Before drinking. Oh, long before. Just, like, masturbating all the time. Like, no, you in were childhood. Uh, I didn't start masturbating until I was probably about 11 or 12. But, like, you know, me and my friends would blow each other under the porch – 
That was, uh, I did a bit on Nicole Bonsterain. That was the name of HBO special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so, like, did you, were you like, this is weird and this is creepy and this is wrong it or anything good. like that? It felt good. And it was dirty. Did you instigate it or did? Both. Both. That's what Dr. Drew tried to convince me I was abused. And I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I, I instigated I left, it I'm... half the time. No. One kid might have abused me, but he was a year older than me. It wasn't like he was 40. Right. You know, um, and there was enough other stuff that I instigated that was... Uh, but where'd you get the idea then? That I don't remember. It might not have even been my idea the first time. And so how, how many times did this, did you, like all the time? I mean, I, I probably could count 10 or 12 sexual partners before I was in fourth grade. Because um, I remember that. Date. Always guys. No, there was a couple of girls. But there was um, like one girl, like I, I like a girl's ass. And I got it from this girl, Janice. She was a year or two older than me. And I remember going to the woods with her and putting her ass against my face. And that set an ass fetish in motion for the next 40 years. You were ahead of your time. I was. I certainly was. Long, way ahead of the curve. Like yeah. Like a nice fat piney. <laughs> but she, uh, but her, her pussy scared me because it was uh, different than mine. Like, yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was mostly boys at that age. I discovered girls as I went on. And, but th- is that something like you don't like? You're straight, Right, or you're... Well, I like transgendered women, so make of that what you will. Yeah, I mean, God, it's like really on PC how <laughs> I just phrased that. But um, so is that your like preference, or are you sort of... You know, women are my preference. I, I don't, I'd be hard for me to fall in love with anybody else. I don't know. Um, but trans women I like. Like, I would date a trans woman. Um, Wait, have you? No, I've had sex with a lot of them, but never dated, because there's uh, a lot of them are working girls. You know, that's a right. weird... Like, there's no Tinder app for that. Are you sure? I'm positive. Um, All the ones I, I know are sober, though, who, and they are not No, I don't know where to meet them. I don't want to meet them. Meetings in L.A. Maybe. Um, or girls in porn uh, are sometimes... See, I, I'm so sexually driven that I like someone who's dirty, and then I can fall in love. Because I don't want to fall in love with someone who I just like as a person but don't but, have any sexual chemistry with. But you have, right? You've had girlfriends that you know, you've... I've cheated. I've been a terrible, no, not everyone, but I mean, I've been a terrible boyfriend at times because you weren't sexually getting what you needed. Or, or, but it wasn't even that they weren't willing to do it. It was just my greed. Right. It was me being greedy. It was like addiction. It was, you know, right. I, I, there's girls that I've met that will do anything because like, I'm, I'm very open. Right. So I attract women who are like minded. I, I believe me, I probably cut 90% of the field out. Right, right, right. But that 10%. Ten percent that are around yeah. are troopers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never want to explain myself. I never want to have to hope somebody accepts me. Right. Um, in that area. Right. Because I accept anything. Yeah. So that's one thing I like about myself is that if a woman doesn't like things, I, I've, you know, and again, I'm not doing anything crazy, like you know, but I, if a woman is, I don't like being shamed about stuff like that, and I right. won't allow it, like. Right. Uh, because I, I'm, there's nothing you're going to say to me that's going to make me go, oh, how could... You know, I'm fine with all of it. Even if yeah. I didn't like it, it's not going to drive me crazy. Yeah. So I won't accept that from anybody. Right. So just th- thoroughly non-judgmental. Are you non-judgmental about everything or just... No, I'm very judgmental. I'm a prick. But I mean, right. about sexual stuff. So yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, I mean, within reason, sure. I mean, as long as you're not hurting anybody. I'm not a predator. Like, I'm dirty, but I don't get turned on by victimizing somebody. Like, right. I don't get turned on by taking advantage of somebody. So I don't like virgins. I don't want someone who's very naive sexually. Right, right. You know what I mean? It, that's not my thing. In role play, sure. But the role play part that would turn me on would be somebody is dirty enough and they're playing innocent. But truly right, right, innocent right. people. There was a trans girl I met uh, who was really pretty. 
And we went on a couple of dates, and she was nice, but then she told me she only been with two guys. And I'm like, right, right, right. Yeah, you I lost don't want interest. Someone who's, it's like, say that for somebody else who's nice. I'm just being dirty. What, so, so it, you call this addiction? Do you label it addiction? And, um, not that. Not going on those dates or not. But the whole, the pursuit of it or the obsess. Are you obsessed with it? You know, I don't even know what part of I'm obsessed with because most times I don't have sex. I could. Yeah. But I don't because, you know, there's consequences with that. You got to be careful these days. And, yeah. You know, there's, you know, and plus once you fuck somebody, a lot of times that changes the game for them. Even though they say it won't, it does. Um, and then they feel like you owe them something. So I'm careful before right. I do it because... Um, I'm addic- masturbation for me is a rough one because again you can't catch anything you can't get anybody pregnant you no one you owe nobody anything after it emotionally right so that's the problem I've had with sex it's more that and porn and dirty texting yeah 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 so so um, and is it something that you uh, you feel like is unmanageable you want to stop or or is it just like look this is who I am no it's not who I am I want to stop it because it's it's a blocker of my mentality like it stops me from writing yeah I want to do it on the book started writing the other day mm. and I hung out with a person and so I wrote about it a little bit I wrote a chapter and it's okay it needs to be edited but uh, I just can't motivate myself again I'm just grateful I started again you mean you couldn't motivate yourself because you're distracted by like the sex and all that. Yeah, that's why I got some, uh, you know, s- some time coming up. I, I want to, uh, you know, go to the comedy cellar. I-, I like to write in public because then I can't jerk off. Yeah. Oh yeah, you could. <laughs> that's that's something. People yeah, I suppose you're right. Let me correct myself. Um, <laughs> you could. It probably would be fun. But did I don't. you have you ever tried to sort of, uh, you know, go to programs for sure. the sex and you just sure? It's a real common one. It's a real common. Oh one. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's so, again, the smartphones and the internet have really exacerbated it. Like, it's 20-fold what it would have been without this stuff. Like, magazines. When I was a kid, I had it. Like, when I was, I remember I used to go to this place, this Quality Inn or Holiday Inn, whatever it was. And they had a vending machine with dirty magazines in it. We, Penthouse, and Playboy. And at the beginning of the month, I would go with a screwdriver. (laughs) And I would jimmy them out. And I would steal the latest dirty magazines. Right. And that was like a drug for me. Yeah. And I would never look at them until I get home until I was masturbating because the surprise was seeing right, the right, pictures. Right, right, right. And the anticipation. It's the sort anticipation. of like waiting for the dealer to come. It was always about more than just the physical. It was the build-up. It was yeah. the lead-up. It was the scenario. It was the situation, which makes it difficult. Like, I envy people that can just feel it. Yeah. Like, there's some guy, a friend of mine told me she saw one of her ex-boyfriends and they were in bed together, just as friends. I'm like, did you have sex with him? And she goes, yeah. I just grabbed his dick. And he's like, and he, she was disappointed in it. Because she's like, yeah, all of a sudden he just started and he stuck it in and that was it. And I was so envious of his ability to do that. Right. Like for me, there's so many bells and whistles I need. Like that must be nice to have the, it's not so much, it's selfish, but it must be nice just to right. roll over on top of something and fuck him and feel good. Like right. that would be fun. But it used to be, like, isn't that also just as we get older, especially men, they get... You know, it gets a little harder. No? No, I mean, I've had this issue for so many years. Like, so many, again, there's just so much required. Yeah. You know, if you love me, I want you to want to spit on me. If you don't like me or you're paid for sex, I want you to love me. It's just the opposite. It's always the chase. It's addicted addicted to the, the, you know, it's like that. It's funny. I think I answered my own question. 
it's like maybe like cutting that out. I'm, I'm sick of that little secret thing I go to. Like even though it's not like a dream, it's like that little daydream I have all day of sex, right. that little place. What right. do I do without that? Yeah, yeah. Like like you mean the thing about the guy, the people who want to be comedians. Yeah, or like, actress, singer, whatever they want to be. Right, right, right. So, okay. So um, we'll like, we'll reach towards wrapping it up. What would you tell people who are struggling with these, with alcoholism, sex addiction, any of the things? What would you, what wisdom would you impart? I would, I would only say my own experience has been 12-step programs work. You just got to be willing to do it. And with the sex stuff, I'm not willing. Like, I want to do it, and I mean to do it. And you have done it. Briefly. But it's very hard to give up. Yeah. What will I be without it? Yeah. What will my mind... And I know it'll be better. My mind will be better. It might... I might take a hit for a while. Right. might be... But there's so many more things. I mean, I don't just talk about sex either. My act is not all sex, uh, which I'm grateful for. But I want to... I want to get rid of that monkey and just you know, have it be a part of my life and not, not the right. driving force or, or, or the driving thought. Right. You know? Right. Do you think it has to get worse then before you're going to be willing to do that? No. I mean, a lot of times they, you know, what, what could be worse? I mean, obviously, I, you know, I'm sure things could always be worse. I should, things you know, should always be worse, but, yeah. you know, I've already want to stop. It's already eating up a lot of my time and stuff. So, you know, it's just a matter of being willing. That's all it is. I know. I know. To, to do it for 90 days and then with, with sex addiction, you pick your bottom line and stuff like that. And it's like getting through the withdrawal. Yeah. It's supposed to be brutal. And I really don't, like, the odd thing is, you say sex addiction, people are like, ugh. But I really don't fuck that many people. I, I very rarely fuck. But again, because I do know there's consequences with that. And right. I'm careful. You know, I'm not stupid. Well, and it's like, you know, alcoholism isn't defined by how much you drink, but it's sort of how unmanageable does right. it make your life? How much are you thinking about yes. it? Um, well, you know, which I think is a is a good note to end on, right? All right, that was comedian Jim Norton on After Party Pod. Find out more about After Party Pod and After Party Magazine by going to afterpartymagazine.com. Sign up for the newsletter and get our ebook, How I Got Sober. 10 stories. You'll like it. It's funny. It's good. You'll have to cry. Uh, See you next time, guys.